I wasn't exactly sure of what I was going to share with you. The Lord had been putting a couple different things in my spirit. But since Thomas went on with the whole war room thing, it uh, sort of gave me direction, and that is where I will go. Um, All that he said about me is true. I'm a wife. I'm a mother, actress, producer. And I'm a few things I'm still working on. But my most important I am is that I'm a child of the Most High God. And I am nothing without him. I have nothing without him. If he's not in it, I don't want to have anything to do with it. So now that we've got that clear, I want to quickly give you my war room testimony. Your eyes are beautiful. Because I would be remiss. It is why I am here. So until I draw my last breath, I will give my war room testimony. Because by the time I wind it up, I believe that some of you will have been set free. I had gone with a girlfriend of mine to a women of faith conference. And in the between the different women speaking, there was an actress. Her name is Nicole Johnson. And she was doing monologues and scenes. And I was like, oh, my goodness. She blew me away with her talent. And I didn't even know that actresses could do what she was doing. And I said, oh, God. God, if you would just use me the way you're using her, I will give you everything that I have. And now, mind you, I didn't want to be her. But I wanted him to use the gifts that he had given me in the way that he was using her. So the years went on. I was in New York doing theater. I moved out to Los Angeles to do some film and television work that he blessed me with. And um, after some time, years keep going by, my husband, or at least I thought it was me and my husband's decision to leave Los Angeles and move to this little tiny town about this big in North Carolina called Mooresville. So we, we move to Mooresville. And you would think, well, why would an actress step away from New York City or, or, or Los Angeles? And, and, and honestly, I had never even thought about that. But this thing that was inside of me telling us to move to this little tiny town was strong. And that is what we did. So after we were there for a while, we decided to house hunt. So we pulled out a list, pulled out some realtors, 
And I'm going to tell you, it felt like I had gone through 37,000 different realtors. <laughs> Interviews, going to all of these houses, but nothing, nothing, you know, struck a chord for me and my husband. Not the right chord. And I, I'm done. I'm like, okay, God, I'm, I'm done. I, I, I'm through, Lord. I am through. And then something that I later realized was the Holy Spirit said, call the last name on the list. The very last one on the list. And I called Donna Sente from Caldwell Banker. Um, no, yeah, Caldwell Realtor. And um, we set an appointment with her and she came out to a house that we wanted her to show us. And uh, she gets out of her car, my husband, we're standing in front of this house. We're waiting. She steps out of her car. And before she even says a word, you know, sometimes in life you meet some people. They don't have to say anything. But you know that there's something on them. Well, Donna was one of them. So she walks up. She introduces herself. All of the pleasantries. And then she takes us inside the house to take a look. So we, we go inside and on our way out, she says, uh, hmm, that, that license plate on the back of your car. And at that time, it was a Ford Windstar minivan. And I've only got one son, but we were foster parents for many years. So I had a van to drive all the kids around. And she said, the, the license plate on your, your van, it says, the book. Is that the book? I said, what book are you talking about, Donna? She said, you know, the book, the good book. I said, the Bible? She said, that's the good book. I said, yes, Don Donna, I'm talking about the Bible. She said, oh, so, so, so you're a believer. I said, yes, I am. She said, oh. She said, well, where are you going to church? I said, well, Donna, at this point, we have visited many churches, but not one that we felt God wanted us just to stop and plant ourselves in. She said, oh, okay. Well, if I give you the address to my church, would you come? I said, Sure. And she gave us the address. And that Sunday, we went to her church, Grace Covenant. We walk inside the doors, and the Spirit of God was thick up in that place. We listened to the word and the doctrine. The doctrine was sound. The worship. It was anointed. And then one week led to two weeks, led to three years, led to six years, led to eight years. Eight years I served there on the worship team, writing, directing dramas, very involved. And then in year number eight, a gentleman comes over to me. He does some producing. He says, Karen, he said, the Kendrick brothers are going to be making a movie. And I think you should send them 
a picture and a resume. And I'm like, okay, you know. So he gave me the information. I sent a picture and resume in, but I didn't hear back from them. Few weeks had gone by. He said, well, Karen, have you heard from the Kendrick brothers? I said, no, I haven't. He said, well, well, that's all right. That's all right. He said, because they're going to be holding auditions next week. Right here at our church. I said, okay. He said, now the character is an older woman, but I've seen you and what you could do the eight years that you have been serving here. And I believe that you're the one they're looking for. I said, okay. He said, so run into your office. I'm going to send you some dialogue to look over for this character. Her name is Miss Clara. So I run into my office and I turn on the computer and I wait a few minutes because it was dial up. It was old. And you know, you get that sound. (laughs) So I'm waiting and then finally the light comes up and I press the button and the email opens up. And I start to read Miss Clara's words. And I could hear her voice breathing back at me. You see, being an actress, we take a little bit of this, a little bit of that, maybe a little bit of you, and I make a believable three-dimensional character, but I heard her voice immediately breathing back at me. On the day of the audition, I run into my closet and I found some clothes that I thought would be appropriate for an 80-year-old woman. I was in there for a few minutes. (laughs) And then I grabbed the wig off the shelf. I've got lots of wigs from all of my roles. And I grabbed the one that I thought would fit this Miss Clara character. And then on the day of the audition, I went in fully dressed and in character. And I stayed in character the entire time. And after... The audition, the room was silent. And then after what seemed like forever, Alex Kendrick, the brother that does the directing, he asked me to give my testimony. (laughs) And I gave my testimony. I gave the good. I gave the bad. And I gave the, oh, so bad. You see, it is the truth. The truth that will always set you free. So after I gave my testimony, I left. 
And then when I got home, I was unlocking the door and the phone was ringing. It was the old phone, the landline. So I, I run over and I answer the phone and they were offering me the role of Miss Clara. But now mind you at this point, they were two weeks from the cameras rolling. Two weeks. Everybody else was in place. That fierce and beautiful Priscilla Shire. She was already set to play Elizabeth. And that handsome chocolate drop TC star. He was already in place to play Tony. But they told me that they had interviewed and auditioned well-known gospel singers and actresses from Hollywood. But see, they're praying people. And after every audition, they would pray. And God kept telling them no. Because it was time for my heavenly father to answer the prayer that I had put up to him at that women's meeting 13 years prior. 13 years prior. 13 years had gone by since I uttered those words to my heavenly father, Abba, Adonai. And I say that to say this, my sisters and my brothers, my sons and my daughters. If by chance there's something that you've been praying for and you feel like your prayers are falling on deaf ears, that Father God has turned his back, that he doesn't hear you, that he doesn't care. It's quite the opposite. He cares about everything that matters to you. And he knows every tear that you've cried from the moment that you drew your first breath. He knows the things that bring you joy. He never changes. Same yesterday, today, tomorrow, forever. And he's got your back. It might not seem like it, but he's got your back. And because he hasn't answered your prayer the way you want him to answer it, Does it mean that he is not answering it? That it is not in process, in progress? Because he is almighty, all-knowing, all-wise God. Omnipotent, omniscient. He will answer in the way that is best for you. And it is not just about you when he answers it. It's also about that, 
that that naysayer who has been watching you stay faithful year after year after year after year, no matter what. It is about the atheist who doesn't believe that there is a God who has been secretly watching you. Year after year after year. Watching you hold on to those promises. Hold on to the rock of all ages. Because you see, that may be the only thing that brings them to Christ. Perhaps they were hurt in the church. Perhaps they've witnessed hypocrisy and judging things that are uncharacteristic of God and they're just like thinking that that is God. But watching you hold on no matter what things look like. So you never know who you're saving. You never know what a powerful ministry you have because no matter what, you still choose to get down on your knees and raise your hands to Father God, the source, the creator. Elohim. El Roy, the God who sees me. Elohim, the God eternal. Yahweh Yireh, the God who is present. No matter what things look like, he hears and he cares. He hears and he cares and he's got your back. I personally know that had he answered some of the prayers I put up to him, (laughs) I would not be here. I might not even be above ground. But see, Father God, nothing is hidden from him. He sees the wolf in sheep's clothing. He sees into the future. He sees around the corner. And he loves you. He's got your back. You don't know the things that he does for you daily. Protecting you. The angels ministering you. Moving you out of the way. You didn't even feel him move you out of the way. How he's blocking things for you. 24-7. You don't know. But he loves you and he couldn't love you one ounce more. See, he's not like us flesh. We are so sometimey. We're so reactive. If it doesn't go our way, we... We're going to jump around a little bit. Let me tell you my testimony. My, I gave my life to Christ at seven years of age. My Aunt Vine, who I patterned Miss Clara after, had a ministry called the Sunshine Band. And she would take her little flannel board and Mary, Joseph, and Jesus and a couple of animals into the different neighborhoods of kids who didn't know the love of Christ. She was here to make sure that all children knew 
that there was a God and that they were loved by the God of all creation. Well, I was one of the kids that she ministered to. My father was her younger brother. He was an alcoholic. My mother was an alcoholic and an IV drug user. And so growing up, me and my four other siblings, we saw some crazy. And I had to play mommy at a very young age, you know. But it wasn't always terrible. They loved us the best they could in the situation and the circumstances that they were in. But see, what God had done, because he's so strategic. There were people in my neighborhood. That's when a neighborhood was a village. And there was Miss Daisy and Miss Emily and Miss Peggy. They would make sure we had food or that we were in-house by the time the streetlights went out. You know? And if you were out of order... They had the green light to put you in order. So that's when the village was a village. And so anyway, like I said, at seven years of age, uh, you couldn't keep me out of church. I'd go by myself. I'd get dressed up, do my hair the best way I could. And ladies of the (laughs) African-American way you know like have a plant going this way whatever whatever have my one sock rolled down the other one but I'm clicking my heels on my way to church (laughs) I was on the um children's drama team we had a choir a youth choir and we were really 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 blessed we were really really good so much so that they got us a bus and we would travel to D.C. and other places to sing. Our, our children's choir was rather kick butt. We were really good. So, um, as I said, every time I could be in church, I was at church. Because I could feel that God thing and the love all around me. And just positive reinforcement and all of those things. I got there. And so I was at church anytime I could be there until I turned 17. (laughs) And then I became the party girl. I would leave my house on a Friday night on my way to her house, on my way to your house after her house, on my way to his house, on my way to... Your house after his house. And the only reason I didn't make it to your house is because I just simply ran out of time. There are only so many hours in a day. Yes, I was quite the party girl. But you see, even though I was out there, I could feel the presence of God around me. Because I had walked away didn't mean he had. He never changes. There is no shadow of turning with him. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. No matter what you do. Arms open. Welcoming that prodigal. Never sleeps. Never slumbers. Waiting for that one sheep. Like, like, like you're his only child. 
So eventually I started walking back. And it wasn't always just like, oh, running, you know. Sometimes it was a thousand steps forward and 2,000 backwards. And then I'd get it back, you know, the momentum and, uh. But so here I am today and I'm continuing to walk that walk. I want to walk into him when I draw my last breath and it be no separation. Just like this. So I share that with you all. So I can say this, God is not a respecter of people. He doesn't favor one over the other. When he loved you into existence, when you were first stirring in his spirit from the very foundation, those are the eyes that he sees you through. And that brings me to one of my favorite Bible stories. Rahab was beautiful. Rahab was highly desirable. Rahab was a prostitute. And she started using her body as merchandise from a very young age. It fed her family. It paid debts. Sometimes her body was a weapon. Sometimes it was a tool. And she knew how to use it. Why Rahab could bring a strong rich man down to his knees with her body. But on the inside. On the inside, Rahab was empty. No man, no expensive oils or fabrics from afar could fill that God-shaped hole inside her soul. Rahab was empty. One day she was in her apartment, which was atop the wall in Jericho. And two men knocked on the door. She opened the door and immediately realized that there was something very different about these two men. Why, they didn't look at her the way most men look at her. And then the two men told her that they were soldiers from the army of Israel. Rahab stepped back, opening the door wide, allowing the two men to enter. But you see, someone saw them enter. And they told the king of Jericho, who sent two guards to her home, thinking that surely they were spies who had come to spy out the land. They knocked on her door. Rahab opened the door. And they told her to send the two spies out. And Rahab said, It is true. It is true two men did come. <laughs> and I, 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 I did what I do with men. And then they paid me and, and they left. 
But if you hurry now, you are sure to catch them. And then the two guards, they left in hot pursuit, thinking they were chasing after these soldiers. Rahab locked the door behind them, and then she climbed the stairs to her rooftop terrace, where she had actually hidden the soldiers under bundles of flax. And she said to them, she said, We're all afraid of you. We're all afraid of you. We don't want to fight you. Our hearts melt with fear at the sound of your name. We have heard about your God. And how he parted the Red Sea when you were leaving Egypt. We have heard about your God. And how he gave you victory over Og and Sion, the two kings east of the Amorite River. We don't want to fight you. And then Rahab said this. And this is when I believe everything changed for Rahab. She said, Surely, surely your God is the supreme God of heaven above and the earth beneath. Please, please promise me that when you come back to destroy Jericho, as I know you will, you will take me and my family to safety. And the two soldiers, they made her the promise. And when it was safe, when it was safe and clear, Rahab dropped the red cord out of one of her windows. And the two soldiers climbed down and into the darkness, off to safety they went. But it wasn't long. It wasn't long before they came back. Oh, they came back. They came back with the entire army of Israel. Under the leadership of Joshua. And as they had promised her, they took her and her family out to safety. And after that, after that, it was on. And it wasn't long before the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. And everyone within its gates was destroyed. Well, Rahab and her family, they moved to Israel. And after being there for a while, she met and married a man named Salmon. And together they had a son. They named him Boaz. And when he was grown, he met and married a woman that took his breath away. Her name was Ruth. Together they had a son. They named him Obed. When he was grown and married, he had a son named him Jesse. When he was grown and married, 
He had several sons. <laughs> but he had one son in particular. The one that he named David. Perhaps you've heard of David. King David. The man after God's own heart, David. It had been prophesied that through his loins would come the long-awaited Messiah. The King of Kings. The Lord of Lords. The Savior to all mankind. So you see. Rahab, the prostitute, she became a mother in the bloodline of the Messiah. And I didn't say that she married into the family. I didn't say that she was adopted into the family. No. She became a mother in the bloodline of the Messiah. Rahab was a great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus Christ. The son of God. God's only begotten son. And I say this to say this. No matter what you've done. God is willing to forgive all sin. All you have to do is ask for forgiveness and repent. Switch it up, change it up. Because God takes great joy in using every in any willing vessel. And keep in mind that he can use you at any age. In any stage in your life. Now, I was 50, I'm 60, well, I'll be 65 in a few days. I, um, I was 57 when I was blessed with the role of Miss Clara. And I look back and I'm like, well, why did it take so long? Why? You know, because it has done my career. Is, but I know why. Because had I gotten some of the roles I auditioned for. Or some of the roles I wanted to play. It would have taken me out of play. So I would not have been able to take the role, be cast, blessed with the role of Miss Clara. And also, the 17 years, the 15 years, it was 17 actually, 13, that it took for God to answer the prayer I put up to him at that Women of Faith conference. I needed some tweaking. I needed to leave some things behind. I needed refining. I needed to know who he was for myself. I needed to know 
who I am in him. I needed to know how to get out of his way and in his will so that he could use me. Because I was just a vessel that he worked through in that role. But like he used me, he wants to use us all. Trust that he knows what he's doing. I mean, he hung the sun. The moon. The stars. Water streaming with life. Land creatures, creeping things, everything that exists he created. Trust that the creator knows what he is doing. And again, I say he loves you more than you could ever know. He loved you into existence. What is your name, ma'am? Jennifer, there was a time when there was such a stirring in his spirit that he had to do something with it. And then he put things in motion so that you would be here, right here, right now, Jennifer. And the same for you, Catherine, Dennis, Bob, Carol, Ted, Alex, everyone here. You're not here by chance. You're here. By a divine, a divine love. And it doesn't matter how you got here. Whether you were conceived in a backseat of a Chevy. Whether you were conceived in the woods somewhere. It doesn't make a difference. He wanted you here. And here you are. And you could have been born in the first century, the 1700s, but there is something to you being here right now. Because whatever he has placed inside of you, it is necessary for the here, for the right now. Everything he does is intentional. So he's equipped you for the right here and the right now. But we're going to have to get out of his way like I had to do. And like I still have to do. And ladies, we're going to have to try to stop out caroling Carol. Or out debbying Debbie. Trust that you are enough. Get clear on who he is, who you are to him. And those things that he's placed inside you, those gifts, refine them. As he refines you and be about his business right here. Don't compete. Don't compare. How can a rose compete with an orchid? A rose is a rose is a rose. An orchid is an orchid. Impossible. Do you be you? That's all you have to do. Trust that the creator of all life. May have possibly knew what he was doing when he created you. 
And in the flesh, we would think, let me back it up. You've all heard the term, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Have you ever just stopped and thought about the weight of that and all that it means? Nazareth. It was the other side of the tracks. Nobody wanted to go to Nazareth. The ghetto, the hood, not the place to be. But almighty all-knowing God, who knows everything, He knew that there was a girl there, 12, 13 years of age, debatable. So what he did was he sent the angel Gabriel to her. And the angel said, behold, Mary, you have found favor with God. And he has chosen you to be the mother of his son. Now, in the flesh, we would think, oh, God would have gone to some princess on a hill in a castle who had only been bathed in milk and oil, who was educated, who only ate the finest foods, knew the best of the best. But no, Gabriel went straight to the hood where there was this young girl who may not have been the most popular, the most intelligent, the most anything, but she was perfect. She was perfect because God lived on the mantle of her heart. He knew he could place his baby in her arms, in his womb, in her womb and in her arms. And that is what he did. So see, we have to stop thinking the stinky thinking that we do. And know that God can use us right here, right now, no matter what's been done to you, no matter what you've done. Once you yield, ask for forgiveness and repent. Give him way. Put him on the mantle of your heart. See what he does for and with you. He never ceases to blow my mind every day. I'm like, oh my God. Wow. Because I, I, I know I'm still a work in progress. But he blesses me like he blessed the woman with the jar of oil. I'm like, I can't find another jar. All the jars I have, all the jars my neighbors have, they're overflowing with all of this stuff that he pours through me, on me. But again, I say he's not a respecter of people, people. And what he's done for one, he will do for you. Just trust him and let him have the mantle of your heart. I'm going to finish with this. Everybody in this room, you're old enough. Well, we've got one and it'll go over his head. Who's <laughs> real young. But we all understand biology. I'm talking biology. You get a man, you get a woman. Now, men, according to the medical association, you guys have like 200 million sperm. That's a lot of sperm. 
They move like, you know. And women, according to the medical journal, we have 20 million eggs. And they're all vying for a position. You know how we get, get out of here. I'm going. Let me drop. So, okay, you got the man, you've got the woman, and they get together, and they, you know. I believe that there is a time that we can't even begin to fathom that everything stops. And then Father God steps in. And he says, I choose you. I choose you. Everyone in this room, you are the chosen ones. You are the chosen ones. He chose you. Could have been any combination. Any egg. Any of those 200 million sperm. But he chose you. And inside of you, he has placed the seed of extraordinary. But in order for that seed that will lie dormant, ordinary for a while, you've got to stand in the sunshine, the S-O-N shine, and allow that Holy Spirit to water you to your core. And it is then that you will grow strong roots and bear good fruit. So give him the mantle. Give him the mantle. Taste and see that he is good. See what he does. Put him to the test. He wants you to. Because more than anything, he wants you to be what he knows you are. But he's not going to force you. Step into your shoes, Cinderella. Nobody can fit them but you. He's gifted everybody in this room with special things. Don't compete and compare. And all of your experiences, the highs and the lows, he takes those things that get shaken up. And then it equips you to be a specialist. That is your ministry. Because who better to talk to a recovering opioid addict than an opioid addict who is overcome? Who better to speak to a mother who has lost a child than a mother who has lost a child? Or a person who has gone through divorce. A brother who has gone through divorce. So everything he'll take and he'll use. I just want you to encourage, to encourage you to be you. But you in him.
They encouraged my brothers and sisters, my sons and daughters. Girl, you're beautiful. That's it. God bless. <laughs>